Hello, listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day today. My name is Annalisa, and I'm the Community Youth Educator for the Network. Thank you for tuning in to our latest episode. We appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we have some interesting information for you. I'll be talking about domestic violence in faith-based communities with one of our local pastors, Graham Van Curen. I have had the pleasure of working with Graham in the Summers Comes Together group, and he is so helpful and easy to talk to. He has been a pastor with the Congregational Church of Summersville in Summers, Connecticut for 15 years. He is a native of the Philadelphia area, but has lived in Summers for 15 years as he served the pastor of this congregation. He has also worked as a program manager for an educational nonprofit called Delaware Futures, which served low-income at-risk high school students in Wilmington, Delaware. Prior to that, he ministered as a campus minister at the University of Delaware. He graduated from Middlebury College in 1994 and received his seminary degree from Princeton Theology Seminary in 1998. He is married to Eric Eli, an Episcopal clergy person. They have a son named Jeffrey, as well as a very pampered pooch. We are delighted to talk to him today about ways a person experiencing domestic violence could reach out to their local faith community for support, how to overcome obstacles they may face, and so much more. If you have any questions or concerns after listening, please feel free to send comments my way, and I'll be happy to address them in an upcoming episode or one-on-one. Thank you so much, and let's get started. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview with us. We're really happy to be able to talk to you and have some of these important questions answered. Thank you, Annalisa. I'm looking forward to it. Can you tell us to start with a little bit more about the Congregational Church of Summersville and your role as pastor? Sure. Uh, We are a Christian church in the Summersville section of Summers. We are about two months, three months away from our 150th anniversary, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, We've historically served the mill workers and the families who live in the Summersville section right around the Summersville Mill, and that means that we're um, kind of the second congregation in town or the second congregational church in town. There is a much older and, uh, and a larger church right in the center of town called the Summers Congregational Church. It's, uh, it's kind of better resourced in terms of you know, finances and facilities and so forth. So we've always, uh, you know, as the second church, tried to be a little scrappy and, and creative. We think of ourselves anyway as kind of the fun, friendly, family-oriented church. We try to offer something a little different, a little more personal. So when we think about our own self-image, that's kind of the image we try to think of. We're known in our community for our uh, community dinners. Right now, because of the pandemic, we're not having in-seat community dinners, but we have curbside pickup community dinners. And we uh, serve a couple hundred meals typically each month. So, uh, And they're delicious. We have fantastic cooks. So that's uh, a lot of fun. And a lot program. of folks know us for that. Yeah. And then we also have a, a, a secondhand store in town known as the Blacksmith Shop. And it's about a block away, a little more than a block away at uh, the intersection of Penny and Maple Street in Somersville. And it is an old Blacksmith Shop. It's this old historic building that uh, we rent from the town of Summers. And we have our uh, secondhand thrift store there. And that's open in the spring and in the fall. And a lot of people know us for that, too. That's now, as for me... I'm the 34th pastor here, so in 150 years, 
we've had 34 pastors. And uh, just recently, I became the longest serving pastor here. I've been here 15 years. Oh, that's great. So I'm excited about that. It's been really great. My job is to teach the scriptures. I administer the sacraments. And I try to help the uh, help guide the ministry of members individually and the ministry of the church as a whole. Sounds like a lot of great things that you're doing. I love this church. I mean, I wouldn't be here for 15 years if it, uh, if it weren't a great, great community of faith. Oh, that's good. So one of the reasons we've reached out to you is that it's my understanding that it's kind of common for people to turn to leaders in their religious communities for advice or guidance for things that might be happening in their personal lives. Is this something that you find true of your members? And what are some topics or situations that you guide people with? Yeah, it's, it's definitely true. Now, there are some big cultural shifts that are happening. Um, one of those is that um, there is increasing specialization and professionalization of counseling services. That's been going on for decades now, and that is um, still continuing to happen. So there are many, many, many more resources that people have for various uh, kind of personal, interpersonal, intrapersonal needs that folks used to come to their pastor or minister or priest for or rabbi, you know, because that was essentially the only game in town for a while, for a long time, that was the only game in town, but that is not, certainly not the case now. That said, definitely people come to me for all sorts of reasons still. Uh, one of the things I love about being a local church pastor, I used to be a campus minister before being a local church pastor, and one of the things I love about the local church is that I get to minister to people from birth through death. And the reasons why folks might come and talk to me can range from anything that happens around birth to anything that happens all the way to death. So, so it's pretty wide ranging. Yeah. But most of the common topics are spiritual topics. And by spiritual, I mean like, where is God in this circumstance? You know, that's happening to me. I'm having trouble finding God in this circumstance. Or people come to me for theological topics, meaning like, what does this tell me about God? What does it say about God? How do I understand God in this, in this circumstance? And then the second most common reason people come is um, end-of-life issues. So when folks are in the winter of their lives, that really tends to focus their minds on uh, work that's undone. You know, and it could be uh, work within the family, like interpersonal work within the family or intrafamily work. It could be intrapersonal work. Um, and when you're, you know, when you have a, a terminal illness, for example, or something like that, it really tends to focus your mind on what's important. And mm -hmm. people want to, uh, people often want to take care of business before they die. And I certainly understand that and, and try to be available um, and as helpful as I can. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a really common reason why people come to me too. That sounds like a very important thing to be able to help people with, especially since it can be such a difficult time to go through it's really an i mean it's it's really an honor because people tend to be very honest mm -hmm. uh, you hear things that you've never heard before and it's a it's just an honor to be a part of people's lives like that it's it's kind of amazing that uh not that i'm untrustworthy i don't mean that but th but that mm -hmm. they trust me with stuff like that it's, it's kind of amazing yeah right you did mention that some people might turn to you for struggles with the relationship 
how are ways that you can help them and what approaches could be taken with relationship things they might be going through? Well, um, so I'm, so when we talk about um, pastoral care and counseling, there are really, uh, I mean, that really breaks into two categories. There's pastoral care, which is what I do. And then there is a distinct and specialized field. It's a distinct calling called pastoral counseling. And pastoral counselors have far more training than I do. Typically, they would have a, a second graduate degree that specifically focuses in, in pastoral counseling. Um, but as part of my seminary training, I've been trained to offer pastoral care, which uh, has psychological components, spiritual components, relational components, theological components, too to it. Psychologically, I am kind of trained in your kind of basic Rogerian empathetic listening that um, most folks involved in counseling are certainly, you know, trained to do. Kind of the, the higher order psychotherapy are things that I have not been trained in and uh, would not try to do. Spiritually, I, I've, uh, I, I use a multi-layered spiritual assessment in which um, I try to glean where people are presently experiencing the presence or absence of God in the issue that they are bringing to me. And that often is an area of, of conversation. Relationally, we try to pray together about, um, about their relationships, for example. If that's, if that's why they're coming to me, we'll pray about their concerns in their relationships. We'll celebrate the joys of their relationships. We will uh, raise up together the petitions they have for their relationships, their hopes and dreams for their relationships. And then if, if the relationships need to be um, kind of uh, directed in a different way, if there's some sort of um, brokenness, kind of missing the mark that God set for us, some, some sin that needs to be addressed in the relationship, then we will look at biblical or church teachings that could help shed more light for where there is confusion. But what, let me go back to the whole pastoral care versus pastoral counseling. Pastoral care, you know, if, if it can be something that I can feel like is being, or the person can feel like is being addressed in a, in a few sessions, then, then I'm happy to give a few sessions. I'm excited mm -hmm. to, to do that. If it's something that is a bigger issue that really requires in-depth continuing care, then um, then I refer to uh, a licensed pastoral counselor, and there are several that work with our particular denomination that I can refer people to, or to a local psychotherapist, or or someone else who mm -hmm. is more highly and specialized, uh, more highly trained and specialized in that area. That's great. Do you think that with the pandemic that there's been more of a need for both these types of counseling? Oh. Gosh, yes. <laughs> I think uh, the pandemic is, I mean, it's, it's just extraordinarily stressful. So there's mm -hmm. this background of stress that I think, um, I think everyone is experiencing. Yeah. Combined that with um, pretty dramatic changes in people's daily routines, and that in and of itself is stressful. There's a lot of comfort mm -hmm. people find in the, uh, in, in the, in the regular routine, and, and that has been upended. And then there are a lot of folks in my congregation who, because of age or you know, comorbid conditions or things like that, they have, I mean, they are much more isolated than mm -hmm. they once were. 
and that is certainly a, um, a stressor as well. So those things, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's like gas to a fire and mm-hmm. kind of these already smoldering situations and, and, and it can really kind of light it up and make it much more intense. Yeah. Well, it's good that they have those services to turn to. Are there any ways that your church addresses specifically domestic violence or unhealthy relationships? Well, the specific way we've done it in the past, and this is has not been a a mission focus of our church for the last several years, but the mm-hmm. meaning last half dozen years. But the specific way we've done it for most of my time here is through a, a partnership with the Network Against Domestic Abuse of North Central Connecticut. I think. Um, you're mostly just called the network now, mm-hmm. but they were a re- regular community partner of ours. So we have 12 months in a year. Each month we have what's known as a second mile mission. And that phrase comes out of the scriptures. But anyway, we call it the second mile mission. Mm-hmm. And it becomes our partner organization for that month. So for years, the network was a second mile mission partner. And what we would do is we would... Uh, raise money for them. We would contribute supplies for their safe house. We would um, give gift certificates to the blacksmith shop, which is that secondhand thrift store that we have. So any folks that the network was working with who would need household goods, for example, or linens or whatever, could just come to the blacksmith shop and take what they need. And we would have speakers from the network um, come and uh, help us lead worship you know, one of those Sundays during that month that they were our second mile mission partner. So um, that's something we've done, uh, some, uh, something that we've done more recently, mm-hmm. it, which is a kind of a more passive thing, is um, including the, uh, the helpline, the network helpline in our, in our bathrooms so mm-hmm. that when folks are using their restrooms, they can just take, uh, you know, take the, the helpline if they happen to need it. Um, that's not only been good for our congregants, but it's, uh, we have a lot of outside groups, not so much now during the pandemic, but mm-hmm. typically we have a lot of outside groups that come and use our church building. So it's, uh, you know, we have five, 12 step groups, for example, there's a music organization that uses our building and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so there are a lot of other people who get the opportunity to be exposed to that as well. So that's been the kind of the most explicit way we've tried to be, um, supportive of those who are experiencing domestic abuse or domestic violence in their relationships. Um, but like I said, and that's, that's kind of, uh, for various reasons, fallen away a little bit in our church, and we've become less explicit about that. Yeah, well, we'd be happy to get that started again and do yeah, more with that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know that sometimes we hear stories where people might have the religious beliefs as a sort of an obstacle in trying to decide what to do with domestic violence because they might fear that it in some way is betraying their beliefs, especially if there is like um, a strong emphasis on like marriage and not getting divorced or things like that. Is there any recommendation you could give for somebody who's worried about being in an abusive relationship and wanting to stay true to their beliefs? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just first want to acknowledge that that is a, I mean, that's a real serious concern. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, we are, um, 
a, a church is the reign of God under human management. And there are all sorts of things that go wrong when, you know, we, we try to um, live out the, the reign of God as humans. We are, I mean, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we see that again and again in our, in our relationships. Um, certainly in the zeal to uh, strengthen and honor the bond of marriage, there are churches and religious leaders that go too far and can seem to sanction abuse. Mm-hmm. as though a marriage needs to be worked out no matter what, you know? And I don't, I don't believe that's anybody's intention, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to sanction abuse. Uh, their plan is not to cover for abuse, but I think that's the effect. And it ends up being, you know, becoming a toxic faith instead mm-hmm. of a healing faith that leads to life abundant, it becomes a toxic faith that, um, that kind of shrinks people's experience of joy, peace, and, and love. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would recommend in those circumstances, uh, I definitely don't think that's our church here, but for those people who are part of churches, faith communities like that, even if they're not churches, mm-hmm. uh, I'd recommend that they check their denominations website or their faith communities, the broader faith communities website, or even websites like beliefnet.com, um, which is not really tied to any particular denomination or even religion, mm-hmm. but they can find, I think, helpful ways to address abusive situations that are drawn from, that are consistent with their own traditions. If they kind of move away from their own particular pastor or church governing board, that is just not, you know, not being helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any traditions, even even ones that are you know, like far to one side of the spectrum. I don't know of any traditions that truly condone domestic abuse. I'm just, uh, you know, so if the local pastor or governing board isn't being helpful, then I encourage people to, to widen the conversation within their tradition. Mm-hmm. And and I think they will find people who will be helpful, um, you know, even if their own local folks are not. That's great advice. And this, speaking also with the local folks that they might be involved with, I know for some people that experiencing domestic violence, that that could be another concern that maybe their local church or place of worship might be very helpful to them. But that might also be the place where the abusive person goes. And if they're trying to get away from that, but not wanting to lose their community, is there any advice you could give them for that situation? Yeah, that is a tough question. That is a situation we faced here in this church, I think every community has faced that. Uh, every religious community has faced that, that at one time or another, or some, you know, some similar analogous sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a tough question because, you know, we are committed here to to not being a country club for those who are spiritually well off. I mean, this is a hospital for the spiritually sick. Mm-hmm. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We do not ostracize people from our community because they need redemption. That's why. I mean, it's why we exist. It's it's why we uh, welcome people into our community. Mm-hmm. At the same time, all right, so first of all, you know, just because someone has a checkered past or a checkered present doesn't mean that they are not welcome here, right? Those are the people that we are calling to be a part of this community and to find a new life. At the same time, we recognize that people must be safe. Mm-hmm. Our community is not a suicide pact. We do not include the seeds of our own destruction here. So we have a, so when there is 
uh, an actively unsafe situation. We have a group in our church. I think most churches do have a similar group, uh, a group that is responsible for enforcing church discipline, which sounds a little scarier than it is, but it's a it's a group that um, is tasked with uh, with examining unsafe situations, removing people from membership if that's the case, banning them from any activities of the church if that's the case. We've had to do that once before. Um, mm-hmm. It happened uh, once before in my in my uh, time here. Um, so fortunately, it's not something that comes up frequently, but but every church needs to have some organization, some group of people that is going to be responsible for ensuring safety in the church. But ultimately, if for whatever reason a person cannot make this their spiritual home, um, then it's definitely part of my job to help them find a spiritual home. And um, and if that means it's a church down the road, then I can you know refer them to that. But um, uh, yeah, definitely we need to uh, give people a, a safe place to worship, to commune with others, to commune with God. Uh, and we need to do it in a way, hopefully, that uh, welcomes all people who are willing to abide by the con- you know the the compact, the covenant we the, the behavioral covenant we live by. That's great to hear that there's that group and a plan in place for situations like that. I think that is yeah. really comforting to people. Yeah, good, good. I mean, that's certainly our intention, and it's a uh, it's an anonymous. I mean, the gr- the group is not anonymous, not that the people are known, but any anything that's reported to the group is is always kept uh, kept anonymous as well. If somebody listening was really passionate about raising awareness about domestic violence and getting support in their faith community, what are some ways you'd recommend them to get started on that? Well, in their own faith community, um, there should be every, I would think every church would have, or every faith community in general, I think, would have some sort of uh, group within the church that is outward facing that that interacts with the community and mm-hmm. in our church it's the uh, missions it's called the missions outreach board and as i was saying before we have these regular monthly partners um the missions outreach board or some other organization like that in your own faith community would be the place that i would start and mm-hmm. i would uh i would approach them express my my interest in in learning more about uh, addressing issues of domestic abuse and ways in which we can help others address issues of domestic abuse. And they may already be doing something about that. Or if not, that's the group that, uh, that's the group that can research it and, and do get started on it. So I would, I would start within the church like that. And if, uh, if that doesn't work, then there's going to be some sort of, uh, governing board within the church. It could be, you know, some sort of lay council or, Whatever you know, different churches have different structures, but there's going to be some board that is uh, that is meant to address people's concerns like that, and uh, and and that's that's where I would turn and kind of see where it goes from there. Thank you. We really appreciate your time and these wonderful answers. Well, I appreciate your time, Annalisa, and the good work that you do. Thank you. Thank you again to Graham for taking the time to do that interview and answer some of those questions. I think a lot of them were very informative. I definitely learned a lot of interesting things and I really appreciate 
having that information to put out there for all of you listeners who might need that or know somebody who does. Again, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them my way and I'd be happy to get the answers for you. We really appreciate you listening and I look forward to talking with you in an upcoming episode. Have a wonderful day.